This time we're going to be talking about chapter 7, being intentional about biblical fellowship. And we begin by going through the assignments from last time, whatever you might have assigned, along with being able to recite all of the Old Testament books. And as I've said before, this is important that there's some mastery of this before Partners is over. So helpful in almost every aspect of Bible study, personal, in church, uh, in Partners, to be able to get around uh, deftly in the Bible, be able to know, uh, you know, whether... Habakkuk comes before or after Joel. Those are the kinds of things that will help us get around speedily in the Bible. Then, of course, there's the memory verse for this week, which is John 13, uh, 34 and 35, where Jesus introduces the uh, words, a new commandment I give to you. Uh, and this may help to tie it together with 1 John, where John talks about the difference between loving one another being an old commandment from the Old Testament and a new commandment that we have in Christ. This is the text in John 13 that we get that distinction from, basically because of a little word in Greek, kathos. Uh, it's translated in our memory verse, just as, to love one another just as I have loved you. Uh, in the Old Testament, the standard was how we loved ourselves. And in the New Testament, in Christ, here's the new commandment He gives us. Not new that we should love one another, but the standard is changed. That we love one another just as Christ has loved us. So that's a little insight that may be helpful as you go over the memory verse. Of course, the chapter is all about uh, fellowship. And uh, it's such an uh, important biblical word. We talk about the Greek word itself, koinonia, which most Christians have heard of. And we talk about it in the two ways that it's used, in the passive sense and in the active sense. The passive sense in that we have a shared experience in Christ, that we are in this together, and that Christ has done things for us uh, together as a family, uh, that we are adopted, we are the people of God, that we uh, have the same Lord, the same Christ, we worship the same God, we refer to the same Bible, all of that, and we deal with that in the first section of the chapter. And then in the second section of the chapter, we deal with the active sense, and that is how we are to share with one another. And all the things the Bible has to say, uh, the New Testament has to say about how we share uh, with each other. So that's the basic structure, but the motivation comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And especially verse 24, here's another good, uh, solid, strong imperative in the Bible as it relates to our fellowship. And it starts with the idea of, of thinking or considering uh, how we are to stir one another up to love and good deeds. That's great because a lot of people view fellowship as just something that uh, kind of happens. We get together, uh, we're Christians, we are at a, you know, some kind of, of, of group uh, setting at church or a class or an outing with a bunch of Christians and we just think that, that um, fellowship is happening. But of course the Bible says we need to give this some thought. We need to think about it. Thus the title of our chapter. It's intentional, it's thoughtful, it's purposeful. Uh, not that we want to turn this into something that's uh, some kind of arduous or laborious task, but we, we certainly need to give it some thought. And that's why we uh, have this chapter in the, in the Partner's Manual. We just don't want our times together uh, when we are gathered in some kind of Christian setting to be without uh, real intentional, thoughtful planning in terms of what we're there to do and what it means to share together and to share with one another. Uh, so that's the foundation for for the chapter, uh, passive sense and active sense, and uh, it's important to kind of lay that groundwork at the beginning of the chapter. At the outset of this section on passive fellowship, we have a little introductory subsection that deals with uh, our relationships uh, that are distinguishable in terms of Christian friendships and non-Christian friendships. And this is important because the Bible has so much to say about what can happen when our closest companions, our closest friendships are with non-Christians who don't share a love for God or His Word. And uh, we, we just need to be careful uh, and, 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 
and even selective and discriminating about those relationships that we really uh, pull our walls down and there's that kind of, uh, of real intimate close friendship with. And uh, the Bible would want us uh, to, be, uh, to be choosy in this department because there is so much about how uh, the friendships with ungodly people creates uh, such a compromise in our morals and our godliness, in our love for God and our progress in sanctification. Now, of course, we always are gonna have relationships and friendships uh, with non-Christians to some extent, as Paul said, we'd have to leave the world if we weren't gonna have connections and relationships with non-Christians. And in some cases, even in a marriage where there may be a Christian and a non-Christian, there's gonna be profound relationships with non-Christians. But uh, as we are free to choose our relationships uh, and those that we really uh, connect with, with that kind of kindred spirit and, and uh, we choose to spend our leisure time with and, and let uh, our walls down with, those need to be selectively, carefully chosen as people that are gonna help us uh, continue to move forward in the Christian life. People are gonna spur us on to be more godly, not open up opportunities for temptation. So it's a good time, particularly at this point in partners, uh, just to do a little assessment about our partner's closest friendships and uh, what kind of impact that those friendships are having on uh, your partner's walk with God. And sometimes there needs to be uh, some, some changes that need to take place. Maybe in the allotment of time, uh, in, in how much we invest in those relationships. We'll always wanna be friendly toward non-Christians, but our closest friendships need to be reserved uh, for those that are followers of Jesus Christ. And certainly for evangelism, we're always keeping those relationships open and we're having opportunities to share Christ as we connect with non-Christians. But uh, there is that balance here in this opening section that will be good for us to give some thought to and to do some self-evaluation analysis and maybe even some action steps to deepen the relationships that we should have uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ. We begin talking about shared experience in terms of uh, fellowship by shared experience because so much of our uh, kind of the, the participation in the body of Christ is going to lead to that, uh, beginning with our times together at church, our commitment to fellowshipping together as we share uh, corporate worship together, and even midweek uh, opportunities for Bible study or home fellowship groups or sub-congregations, whatever that might be. We're gonna be sitting, uh, as I often say, with our chairs side by side, experiencing worship and Bible teaching and those types of things, they help to build that commonality in the body of Christ. Certainly it uh, presupposes that our commitment is to being at church and uh, being faithful and attending and being a part of what's going on there. Uh, and this is one reason that shared experience uh, that the Bible assumes is gonna take place uh, and is so important for fellowship. One of the reasons we can't relegate church to uh, watching uh, some uh, you know, service streamed on the internet or listening to CDs or MP3s of messages. Uh, we have to be committed to actually physically being there and being together. Uh, and of course, there are times we have to miss, but we need to be devoted as we look up that passage in Acts 2 and we quote it there in the partner's manual to being devoted to getting together uh, to experience, uh, in their case, the apostles' teaching, in our case, the reiteration of the apostles' teaching uh, through our pastors and, and ministry leaders at the church. Uh, we also then talk about uh, serving together. Uh, and every Christian should be involved in some level of service. We've talked about that in the partner's manual. And uh, the best kind of service that builds our fellowship is when we're not uh, alone, exclusively, all by ourselves uh, doing some kind of service. There are some that are like that, but it is so helpful when we can partner up 
uh, even if it's just with one other person or a small group of people to do whatever it is that we do to serve the body of Christ. And we need to make the most of those times. Serving side by side to help the body of Christ in some way uh, is going to do a lot in that shared experience department to build a camaraderie, a connectedness, a unity in the body of Christ that's so essential. And then I add one that uh, sometimes is overlooked, even for those that are faithful in attending and serving, and that is just having uh, relaxing times together, uh, kind of disconnecting from uh, work and just enjoying some time together at a ball game, a barbecue, whatever it might be, something where we're, we're getting two or three or four or more Christian friends together just to experience some downtime, to relax. Jesus did that. Uh, he took his uh, disciples away. They would uh, spend time, downtime, recreation time, and I mean that in the most uh, literal sense of the word, a time just to not be working, but recreating our energy and our strength, uh, but doing that not alone. I know we all need alone time, but being able to do uh, some of that, at least in our lives, uh, with good Christian friends. That's critical, people that share our, our devotion to Christ, our commitment to the Word of God, and of course in this chapter presupposes those that are sharing in our local fellowship under the same pastors and leaders, uh, but taking some time that aren't uh, scheduled for ministry or church services just to, to chill out, to relax together uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's important as it relates to passive fellowship. The next section we deal with uh, active fellowship. This is when our chairs, as I often say, go from being side to side to face to face. Uh, and we use as a template here uh, Acts 2 as a great example of the levels of, of sharing of our lives. And uh, that takes place in the early church as it should take place uh, throughout the generations in the church age where we are uh, focusing on uh, each other and not just sharing experience, but really sharing our lives. Uh, and it starts there with, with the sharing of, of meals and the sharing of our homes. Uh, that's critical. I mean, every leader in the church is called by requirement to be hospitable. Uh, but for us in the church, no matter what our level of leadership, we should all aspire to and aim for a kind of life where our chairs face together and we work uh, at scheduling times where we're taking our meals with other Christians and we are sharing our homes. We're being hospitable, we're bringing people into our house, uh, we're sharing fellowship in that regard. That is uh, just foundational uh, for the kind of, of communication, the kind of sharing of our hearts that we uh, uh, we just won't do when our chairs are side by side. Uh, the two other aspects of that passage that we highlight have to do with uh, ministry, when we are praying for one another and when we are sharing God's word with one another. And again, chairs face to face, so to speak, where I am praying for you, you're praying for me. Uh, we do that together in the same place. Uh, home fellowship groups, I hope, have a large part of what they are all about, uh, you know, in terms of, of mutual support takes place through that prayer support where they come together praying for one another's prayer requests, uh, but then also sharing, exhorting, uh, making sure that we are bringing to one another those insights that God, have, uh, God has taught us and making sure that we're bold enough to share that lovingly, caringly, but we want to get uh, our our hearts and our knowledge and whatever God is doing in our lives in terms of increasing our knowledge of Christ and being able to share that with one another. Uh, that's a real brief section, perhaps briefer than it, than it should be or could be, but at least we'll get your partner, I trust, to think more about how there can be intentional uh, turning of our chairs face to face with meals in our homes, in our living rooms, uh, in prayer time together with other Christians, and in just sharing with each other the things that God is, is teaching us. In the next section, we uh, talk about the goals of fellowship. And uh, we reprise the memory verse at this point from 
John 13, 34 and 35, uh, where we talk, first of all, about love, that the goal of our fellowship is uh, that the people in the body of Christ are loved through us. And uh, this is important because we can do all the things we talk about in terms of shared uh, koinonia and active koinonia, active sharing, and really kind of miss the point that it's not about my experience. Ultimately, it's about the experience that I am bringing to those that I'm fellowshipping with, uh, particularly that I'm loving them with the biblical definition of love, and that is that I'm doing something for their good, that I'm seeking uh, in the time that we have together uh, to really be able to serve them in a way that, uh, that God would uh, quantify as biblical love that I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to, to, to give, I'm willing to be the kind of person that is looking for needs and seeking to meet those needs. The next two subpoints deal with some very specific ones in the Bible, and that is encouragement and equipping. Uh, I want to make sure that my partner leaves this chapter with a sense that when they get together and spend time with other Christians, uh, they're really looking at the measure of, is this person loved in terms of encouragement? Uh, because love's not always what you say, it's what they hear. And when it comes to encouragement, we need to make sure that there's really uh, a kind of building up of those that are listening to my words and, and being served by what I do in those times of fellowship. This can take place, if we think about it, in the most uh, you know, short times that we, we connect with other Christians could be on the patio of the church after a service. That conversation, uh, am I seeking to uh, encourage and build up that person uh, on the patio through the conversation that I have because I care, because I love them and I want Christ to love them through me? Uh, and then, of course, equipping. How can I get them through what I say, certainly through the exhortation or the knowledge of Christ that I may give them, as we talked about in the active sharing section, how might that equip them, get them ready to be a better Christian, to face the challenges of life that they face or the ministry opportunities that they have. Uh, having that kind of as our, our goal, instead of just seeing fellowship as some kind of a feeling that I take away from time with other Christians, uh, will be a, a, a great thing if and when the church as a whole starts to catch on to that uh, perspective. In other words, when you have a group of people where they're all intending to do that, uh, you've got a church where there's you know great opportunities in every meeting for people to go away feeling as though uh, they've really been cared for, encouraged, exhorted, challenged, and equipped uh, to meet whatever Christian uh, life challenges that they face. So uh, intentional about this and focused on this. And I know a lot of times in this section, people feel like, well, if I care for others with that kind of intentionality, then who's gonna care for me? And that's the point. The Bible always presents us with that little quandary or so it seems uh, that we're always trying to outdo one another in giving honor or as Romans 13 says, owing, feeling indebted, uh, that kind of debt to, that I owe my brother or sister in Christ love. See, when everybody catches that obligation, it makes for the church being a, a tremendous place uh, for a, a great deal of encouragement and, and edification. So that's the goal here. And of course, God will always care for us when we're caring for others and He'll use others in a church that's, I hope, like-minded to be ministering and caring for you. So this is a section to get very specific uh, about the goals, not about getting, but about giving. As we begin to wrap up this chapter, we want to get the partner to think about a particular perspective that will help uh, drive and motivate and fuel this kind of uh, uh, fellowship we're talking about. Because certainly we will redefine a lot of the, the common pre uh, misconceptions about um, fellowship. It's not just hanging out with your favorite friends at church, as we say in the manual. It's about uh, being purposeful, and that's going to get difficult, particularly as we reach out and, and allow God to work through us to meet needs in the body of Christ. 
Uh, and we start by looking to Christ to fuel our fellowship and our love for people. I mean, these are people that Christ died for. Uh, these people that I fellowship with are people that, that Christ dearly loves. And so to look to Him, even in my prayer life, and ask God to fuel my heart with a kind of concern for them that He has for them is, is certainly essential. Uh, but then even more practically, we move on to looking at how the Bible would have us see Christ as the recipient of our caring. And uh, this has been key in my own life, just to be able to think about ministry in general and fellowship in particular, uh, as though Christ were the recipient, which is what he does uh, on a couple of occasions in the New Testament, getting us to see that when we do something, even for the least of the brothers of Christ that are a part of the body of Christ, we're, we're doing it unto him. He wants us to see uh, he, that he wants us to see rather that he is the recipient. Uh, and that is a kind of mindset that can change the way we go about uh, serving. It'll bring a, an extra kind of energy and, and it will allow us to be more patient and more enduring and more long suffering, no matter what the difficulty may be when we see Christ himself as the recipient. So changing that perspective uh, is, is key and it's helpful as we kind of get our minds off of ourselves. We need to look now to Christ to give us that kind of, of encouragement and motivation uh, to continue to serve with a kind of biblical love uh, that he wants to, wants to express through us to the body of Christ. After talking about the call to follow Christ's example, who was obviously the ultimate example of caring for others, uh, we turn to one final motivation in the partner's manual. Uh, and I think this is good because it's uh, almost counterintuitive as it relates to our Christian growth. Sometimes we feel like as we grow up in Christ, uh, we need fellowship less. Uh, but what the Bible tells us is that in light of the uh, coming of Christ and the difficulty that is to come with the degeneration of culture and the antagonism toward Christianity, uh, all of that is assumed there in the book of Hebrews, but we are called to uh, do this fellowship, connect, spur one another on to love and good deeds, all the more as we see the day approaching. So while we may feel um, a bit more stable in our Christian life as we mature, actually as the years roll by as Christians, this needs to become a more concerted effort in our Christian life. We need to dedicate even more time to it as we move toward the day of Christ's arrival and it needs to be a, a high, high priority. Uh, there are books as there are at the end of every chapter that I list there and annotate, uh, perhaps more uh, I mean, less needed in a chapter like this. I mean, this is not a hard chapter to understand. It's just a challenging chapter to implement. So, uh, but you can see the books that are provided there. Maybe one or two of them may be helpful if there's a special need or a special issue uh, that you have to address in partners. But the real uh, key here in chapter seven is just to motivate your partner and keep them accountable to changing their perspective and their purpose in biblical fellowship and making sure that they do it. Because the body of Christ isn't gonna be what it's called to be or what it should be. It certainly will never be healthy. Your outlet of the body of Christ, your local church, until Christians are committed uh, to biblical fellowship.